Before we officially start this podcast, I want to remind everyone that the IB Sports podcast feed is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe to be notified of all new podcasts from the IB Network. We would also appreciate if you would rate and review the IB Sports page network. Finally, you can follow IB Sports on Twitter and Instagram, as well as the Facebook group that has over 4,000 members. The Facebook group has a premium membership that allows you to post without being approved by an admin. You can be commissioner for a day, levy fines, receive free gambling picks, and much more. Also, we have a Team Turnbuckle Wrestling Facebook group that we would love it if you guys would join to uh, discuss wrestling, news, favorite matches, and much, much more. But with that, we are back with another edition of the Team Turnbuckle podcast. I am your host, Keith Fleming. With me, as always, the Jim the Anvil Nightheart to my Brett the Hitman Heart, Ron L. Tinsley. Ron L., it's good to hear from you. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> Had to throw that in there. Oh, uh, man, it. I'm doing well, brother. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing good. We, we do want to apologize. I know we've uh, gone about 10 days, I think, without doing uh, one of these. It's just been uh busy but we are back we we hope to uh provide uh weekly podcasts moving forward we're going to try to get a date it's just it's tough with both of our schedules but um let's get right into this because there's a lot of stuff going on since the last time we talked uh we changed the format if you remember last time we're going to continue with that where we're going to start with off the top rope just talk about some of the news going on in wrestling and then for the Who Stole the Show segment, uh, we're going to discuss the Great American Bash and Fighter Fest and kind of go over uh, some of our favorite parts of that. But today is actually the five-year anniversary of Sasha, Charlotte, and Becky debuting uh, on the main roster. They ended the segment of Raw, or excuse me, the segment on Raw by putting the submission holds on uh, the Bellas and Alicia Fox. Bailey would debut later in the same year. So we are now at five years, basically, of the four horsewoman in WWE. I mean, they have really changed wrestling in so many ways. What do you think the four horsewomen have uh, like meant to wrestling to you or just wrestling in general? Oh, uh, wow. I did not even realize that, which tells me I've only been back watching wrestling maybe a little what maybe shortly under four years somewhere in that neighborhood and in that time what these women have brought to the game has been nothing short of uh phenomenal i mean look at their they were all uh big parts of the women's evolution so to speak um especially what they had did the last couple of years um charlotte of course is the all-time um, holder of uh, title wins in in such a short span. Um, Bailey is probably having the greatest championship run out of all of them currently. I mean, there's so much to unpack just with all that. So you can definitely say that the four horsewomen have brought so much to WWE and helped push the women's uh, division on both NXT and the main rosters um, generations forward. Yeah. It's, it's almost hard to 
explain what they've done for to, to wrestling, especially when you talk about women's wrestling. I mean, now it's just wrestling. I, I don't even really think you call it women's wrestling because it, right. it needs to be reminded they had never main evented a pay-per-view. They had never, you know, I think there was one time they had closed an episode of Raw. You know, they, they've had the first stipulation matches. They, they've main evented WrestleMania. I mean, you name it to where... Oh, sell. Exactly. Ar- arguably, you could say that the women, I would say, in the last two, three years, have carried the program because Absolutely. obviously Becky Lynch was the big story for well over a year. Uh, now you've got Sasha who is just exploding. We're going to talk about her a little bit more in just, you know, a few minutes. Bailey is having this incredible run and Charlotte is Charlotte. So, uh, I mean, just from that aspect alone, they have opened the doors for not only the women that are currently in WWE, but any women or girls anywhere in the world who want to do this for a living that, you're not going to have to be a diva. You're not going to have to be, you know, eye candy. You're not going to have to do these ridiculous segments because they're stars. They're superstars. And they have really changed the face of wrestling so much so that other promotions now feel pressure that we have to compete with WWE's women. And you see it in AWA, AEW, you see it in TNA, you see it in all these promotions where they're trying to strengthen their women's rosters. The one thing I want to talk about this before we move on is, you know, it's really interesting to see how, and I know you said you weren't here when they first, you know, debuted, but when they debuted, it was all about Charlotte. And there was some buzz for Sasha. Uh, Becky was kind of the forgotten woman who debuted. Correct. And Bailey was still getting a lot of love because of the NXT run she was having. But, you know, that was still around the time that most people who watched, I think, Raw on SmackDown didn't necessarily watch NXT. It was a really niche audience. You know, it wasn't on USA Mm -hmm. Weekly. And it's been very fascinating to see how all of them have made their way. I mean, Charlotte did it pretty much immediately and to no fault of her own. Obviously, a lot of it had to do with the fact that she's Ric Flair's daughter. But, I mean, she has been involved in so many of the greatest women's wrestling matches of all time. I mean, you can't even yeah. like, list them all. Uh, so Absolutely. She was, she was the first one. And then, you know, Sasha was the one that a lot of people thought were being, you know, pushed down or forgotten when her and Charlotte were feuding. That, that I think it was the second or third year they were on the main roster. And Sasha kept getting these big wins and then would immediately lose the belt right back to Charlotte or somebody else. So she kind of got pushed aside. Then, you know, Bailey had a nice little run, then kind of got stale. And then Becky just comes out of nowhere and becomes bigger than all of them. And now for her to be, you know, taking time off to become a mother, it's so cool to see that Bailey, as you said, is in the midst of arguably the greatest women's title run ever. I've enjoyed it more than Becky's run. Like Becky's chase was so much cooler and the story was awesome. And that moment beating Rhonda, it's up there with, you know, the Daniel Bryan WrestleMania 30. But if you're talking about actually being a champion, defending it, making it interesting, you know, the heel turn halfway through Bailey. Yes, exactly. Bailey has definitely, you know, made her mark as, you know, somebody who was this just 
as babyface as babyface can be character. And now she is such a fantastic heel. And I just, I love it every time she gets on camera. She didn't have to talk. Just her mannerisms and facial expressions are just classic. And then now, like I said, we're going to get into in just a second. Sasha is basically becoming the star of Raw and SmackDown, which I just don't think anybody would have predicted, even with all the hype that these women had when they were called up, that they would make this kind of impact you know, on just a day-to-day basis in a company that's been dominated by men since its inception. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you go back to Charlotte, I, I admit that when I first started, like I said, I first started coming on right as uh, Charlotte was really on the rise. So me just coming in, I'm like, oh, Rick's daughter's wrestling. So I was one of those people who kind of poo-pooed because I never watched them in NXT but just over the years, and it seems like so much longer because of everything she's done, this woman, like, she uses that flair name as fuel to train because the moves that she does, like, I mean, some of those acrobatic moves that she does for a woman who's my height is so off the wall absolutely insane i mean and you can like you said we could keep going down between uh what becky did that was just a meteoric rise a couple of years ago um and there's still the story to be told about sasha not being able to hold on to a, a world title long enough or whatever so there's so much that they built in such a short period of time it's so just absolutely amazing and it's safe to say that they're not going away anytime soon because we've got the Becky Sasha feud. We know coming like it's coming. I don't know when, and I understand why they're pushing pause. I've seen a ton of reports recently that the plan was for SummerSlam. They're backing off a lot of stuff for SummerSlam because there's not going to be a live crowd. And I can't blame them for that. So we know we have that. And then obviously when Becky returns, that's going to be a story because whichever one of them is, you know, the other three, is basically the man of the women's division when Becky comes. You know she's going to have her sights set on them, and it's going to be excellent because of the history. Uh, Let's move on and kind of stay in this because Sasha Banks has been the star of WWE for the last month. I don't know if I've ever remembered somebody being like the centerpiece of every piece of programming in WWE like this since like, Stone Cold back in the you know late 90s or The Rock. Uh, she fought at the Great American Bash, had that great match. Uh, she's had segments and matches on Raw and SmackDown. She's defending the tag titles with Bayley on all three shows. And now she's facing Asuka for the Raw title at Extreme Rules next weekend, not this weekend. For those in the Facebook group, I apologize for the, uh, the message I sent out last night. But my question is, is Sasha the new Becky? Like, is she now the star of the show? Because Becky was the star of the show for well over a year. So it seems that that's what it's uh, playing at. Just the, it seems the only question now is, is which uh, women's heavyweight title uh, is going to go around her waist and how are they going to do it? Because um, she is putting in a, bunch of really amazing work um i loved the match that she had had with io shirai and she can just you know as much as we uh as wrestling fans used to make fun of her because of uh her 
um, botching in the ring or whatever been super clean for a while now and i it just it makes everything else that much better that we don't have that thing to worry about you know because i remember for a while i would always kind of cringe when i would see her go for things like the meteora or that backbreaker that she does it's like oh my god is she gonna hurt someone but she's been wrestling super clean she's uh, her she's been totally entertaining great heelish um it seems that that's what it's gonna happen i i just can't wait to see which uh title it's going to be you know it's funny that you talked about the botches because she did i think a lot of that had to do with she's gotten much stronger like and it's been impressive because her physique really hasn't changed that much but you can just tell she's put on a lot of muscle which i think that had mm-hmm. to, to do with a lot of the you know i say a lot of it's not like she had a ton of botches but the botches that were highlighted I think it was normally from a strength perspective. She just didn't have a strength to do some of the stuff they were asking her to do. Something else that's been interesting is, you know, I used to always cringe at the way she would fall. And I I saw a very good uh, thread on Twitter the other day, and I apologize that I don't remember which gentleman posted it, but he was discussing how if you really look at it, she's always been a fantastic seller. But because, as you were saying, because she would make occasional botches on the offensive side, people assumed that she wasn't falling correctly. And I just think she's always been really good at selling. I mean, the way she ragdolls her body, because she would just be injured more frequently if it's every time you see her in a match take a bump that you're like, oh, man. You know, if she was actually getting hurt and not basically controlling the situation. Uh the, the other thing is for Sasha being the new Becky, that's unfair to Becky. I, I shouldn't even have posed mm. a question that way, uh, and that's my fault. But I do think she's going to be the star. And it's kind of funny because if you ask me when they all came up five years ago today, who had the best chance to be a breakout star? And I'm talking about because at that point, we didn't know women could reach this kind of level of stardom that they have created I would have said it was Sasha just because of her attitude, her look, uh, just, you know, obviously she's very beautiful. Uh, she's pretty good on the mic. She, she had been both a good heel and a face in NXT, which none of the other girls could say that. Uh, and then it was a little disappointing, honestly. She was probably the only one that you could say for a while you were slightly disappointed and what had become of her, and it's not Sasha's fault, that was WW Creative, because it was like for a year and a half, they just forgot that they had this incredible talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and up until um, that tag team title run, the, the first tag team title run with Bailey, I had almost forgotten as well, and it was just like, oh, oh, that's right. Oh, how is she going to be, though? That that's the woman who who main evented Raw. That's the woman who had the first Hell in a Cell match. That's you know what I mean. She had already done mm. all these things, but it had been so long. And in the world we live in, it's not just wrestling; it's sports, it's it's news it's coverage. New. It's, it's that quick you know cycle where it's like, what have you done for me lately? And I'm talking about like yesterday because what you did a week ago, we've already forgot about. Yeah, totally. One more thing before we move on from the Four Horsewomen. Charlotte announced, I believe it was today or it was either yesterday on Twitter, that her, you know, we knew she was taking time off. She's doing this to repair her implants. 
she discussed she had the, the really dangerous situation. I believe that was two years ago where one of them had bust. They believe this is the same thing. They're trying to repair them long-term is what she said. I just thought it was really impressive of her because, again, she's a role model to so many women to just come out and not be ashamed of She's owning her thing to talk. Exactly. Like she said, hey, I did this dangerous thing for my and I'll be dominating this division, but I didn't want to hide it. I didn't want to, you know, tiptoe around it. I wanted to let people know what is going on and let's move on. And I really do commend her for doing that. Yeah, that is totally awesome. Hats off to you, Charlotte. All right, so the next thing we're going to talk about on Off the Top, and this this has really surprised me. So Chris Jericho and Tony Khan have been in the news a lot lately about ratings, man. Like, I feel like Alan Iverson, like, about ratings, man, not practice. Mm. <laughs> uh, interesting, NXT has defeated AEW both of the – maybe the last three weeks. I know it was the last two weeks where we had the two just going head-to-head, but – as AEW and Tony Khan and Chris Jericho definitely wanted you to know, AEW won the coveted 18 to 49 year old demo, which I will say, as somebody through RC who has a TV podcast, he's taught me that that is the demographic that you want because they buy the most stuff. They're you know they're the people that are going to end up making you the most money is that 18 to 49-year-old range. It's what WWE dominated in the late 90s. It's kind of how you first saw the seeds of them taking over WCW after getting behind in the ratings. But it is funny to see, like, why is AEW so obsessed with the ratings all of a sudden and making it a story, like a bigger story than it is? Um, Well, this is kind of news to me. Quite honestly, but what would make oh, me? Oh, you're not think, on Twitter. I forget. Yes, I'm sorry. that's no. It's quite all right. I, I like being abreast of situations, though. Um, but the interesting thing with that is, is that you know, we occasionally talk when you know we've been making it more of a point to talk about the numbers lately, and I don't know why AEW is being so concerned unless something about you know everything with uh, the COVID situation is really uh, hitting hard on the numbers for for TNT especially considering they just got an extension on the contract so they may they may be watching those numbers a little more there's a possibility that I don't I don't know if something about the ratings uh, play into their contract but the fact that they're actually verbally talking about it honestly i don't think is a good thing so i don't know if we have a a need to be concerned uh for the immediate future so just to kind of show you what i meant jericho four days ago this was after it was all over twitter because you know AEW did and it was more their fans honestly than their promotion were really talented when they were beating nxt in the ratings i mean you know like every week AEW, you know, defeated NXT again. Well, then obviously, you know, the NXT or WWE fans that they've had their fun with them the last couple of weeks going like, mm. come on, Jericho, you pay, you know, you main event with Cassidy and y'all got beat, you know, the week before Sasha and EO, you know, defeated the, you know, Omega and Hangman. 
And he, he tweeted, stoked to say that AEW Dynamite won the ratings demo war again last night. You're welcome. And he posted only about the 18 to 49-year-old demo, which I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. He went on to watching Nitro from 96, uh, noticed that at that time they were uh, winning the ratings war and it was because they were doing 1849. Then he had another one where somebody said, Cole versus Lee destroyed Jericho versus Cassidy. 992,675,000. Jericho, first off, that number is wrong. Secondly, we still won the quarter hour demo. Sorry, Skippy. Try again next time. And basically, he the, the number was <laughs> off by a few thousand. It was 900 to 660, uh, 675, but it was like 909 instead of 992. But again, he's just tweeting back at like average fans. Uh, Khan has had a ton of comments about it. The only thing I can think maybe they're doing, and it, and it may end up being brilliant on their part, is maybe they're just Bring trying more to. Ice. And there you go. Like they they want this to be a war. You know, this is the Wednesday night war because we all know the Monday night war was very good for business. It was good for everybody. And maybe they're trying to recreate that and make it seem like there's more heat, more competition. And I'm not saying they're not really competing. I know they are, but I'm saying they're using this as a platform to just basically get more attention. Cause if not, it is, it's just really strange because Chris Jericho, honestly, to me, should be above ratings. Like at, in his position, it doesn't matter. He didn't need to prove anything. You know what I mean? Like right. I don't care how what his rating is. He's Chris Jericho. Tony Khan, it's like, have you ever heard Vince McMahon publicly talk about the ratings? Like, yeah, maybe at a board meeting, but not, you know, on Twitter or, you know, in front of a, a, can, a, a news reporter or something. It just, again, to me, seems kind of beneath the guy who's supposed to be the owner of AEW. Yeah, uh, and I hope that it's just the former of what you were speaking because it wouldn't be a good look if this is kind of what they're really about. And with Chris Jericho, I can't imagine that it's anything more than just uh, I have a few minutes on my got a few Troll. minutes on my hand. Let me just go be me online right now. Which is fair because he does interact. Like that's one reason alone I would love for you to join Twitter is just Jericho. He loves to stick it to just guys like me and you or anybody else who, if you want to take a shot at the King, there's a good <laughs> chance he's going to blast you uh, in a response. So uh, the last thing we're going to cover on off the top, we got a pay-per-view this coming Sunday, again, in their Facebook group, the team turnbuckle uh, Facebook group. I swore extreme rules was last night, like swore it was, especially with the programming this week to me, going towards it being the final week before it, but it is not. It's going to be next week. It's going to be Carl, the Extreme Rules Horror Show. So we're going to do a little preview and prediction. Uh, the match, that we'll, we'll go in the order of matches that I think people are going to care the most about. We'll go, we'll go backwards. So obviously we'll start with Apollo Crews versus MVP for the U.S. title. Um, do you have anything you want to say on the match and then just give me a prediction? Uh, not much. I really want to say on the match. Um, actually, I kind of hope that MVP carries Apollo Cruz, helps him to elevate the U.S. title some. Um, especially now that the U.S. title's got a facelift. I never really spoke about it in the group, and it because it took me a minute. I needed to swish it around because uh, my first exposure was the picture. I didn't actually watch Raw until a few days later, and then when I got a good look at the title, quite honestly. 
I like it. It's a throwback. It's a throwback to the uh, second heavyweight title that Hogan had had um, right after the old green Bob Backlund title got uh, retired and the old NWA TV uh, TV title. So I I love the shape and design. Um, I know a lot of people are like, well, if they did this, did this. okay. well, it may not be perfect, but I like the color theme. I like it Um, anyway. Um, that said, I think Apollo Crews is still going to go over and hopefully we can get some kind of heat behind this. Maybe we can get a, maybe a better uh, mid-card contender to kind of elevate the U.S. title because we need those mid-card titles elevated because I'm sorry, that's just what I get off on. I agree. Uh, the As for the belt, I'm with you. I, I did not understand so many people hating on it. I think it's a very clean, good looking. It's so much better than the version that they've had for years. 17 uh, years. Oh my God. I didn't know it was that long. So, I mean, yeah, like it needed to change. This looks really good. It's two belts in a row that look really good. The IC belt. I, I really like the new version of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I also really like the new version of the U S belt. Yeah. In a perfect world, would I love them to go back to the WCW US belt, which to me is one of the cleanest looking belts of all time. Yes, Absolutely. Sir. They're not going to do that. I mean, if they don't have the big gold belt anymore, I think because it's associated WCW, you know, they're not going to bring back the US belt. So they did a good job on that. I actually, for my prediction, I hope it's a no contest and MVP convinces Apollo Crews to join his stable. That is what Apollo Crews needs. He, I mean, look what MVP has done for Bobby Lashley. Apollo Crews needs that as well. MVP has been on fire. And if they're not going to do that, I kind of just hope they give the belt to MVP. Apollo Crews can win it back. It would probably help him more to have that moment. Uh, but I really hope he ends up joining the stable. I think it would be uh, good for both Apollo Crews and honestly for Bobby Lashley to have those guys under MVP's tutelage, both on the show and just in real life. That would be uh, awesome. Right. So the next match, uh, let's go Bailey, Nikki Cross for the SmackDown women's title. I, I'm not going to really talk that much about this because there's no chance Bailey loses. Bailey's going to retain unless you think otherwise. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to the next one. You think there's any chance Nikki Cross no, wins? No need to talk about it at length. I like Nikki Cross and I like um, her progression uh, as Alexa's best friend. Not her time yet. I agree. Uh, we got Drew McIntyre versus uh, Dolph Ziggler. I just saw today that this is going to be a TLC match for the Raw Championship, which is the WWE Championship. I get so confused with these things. I am very excited about this match. I I actually think that they are, are doing good booking in the sense of who they are lining up against Drew McIntyre, but I'm not going to lie. I'm very concerned at the way his title reign is going since Paul Heyman has left. You can see a direct correlation in the way McIntyre is being booked since Heyman left. I do not understand, and I I know we haven't talked about it, the Raw last week, outside of the amazing promo that Heath Slater gave, that made no sense to me. It made McIntyre look like a heel during the promo because basically Slater's saying – I was there for you when you got fired. You were not there for me when I got fired, and you were the WWE champ, so you had more to do with it. They then allowed McIntyre to squash Heath Slater, Heath Slater, which to me made 
very little mm-hmm. sense. And then they just immediately made up. And I'm just like, you just wasted one of the best promos I've heard. And I don't know how long by somebody that surprised me and Heath Slater by a really confusing like segment slash booking storyline. But I don't see Ziggler winning. I have McIntyre retaining. Uh, anything you want to preview about? Then obviously give me your prediction. Um, well, uh, when they had talked about Ziggler being able to set the stipulations, I was thinking that it would be best uh, with a Dolph Ziggler match to get a ladder involved. And now hearing that it's a TLC <sighs> makes total sense. Um, I still unfortunately think that, you know, Dolph is going to lose and that, you know, they'll continue to keep it on Drew. But Dolph is really going to put up a couple of really amazing spots in this. And I really do appreciate when they, you know, use a backstory for a feud like this. Like I saw some people complaining, you know, Ziggler versus McIntyre. It's like, yes, Drew debuted the second time with WWE because of Ziggler. I mean, it's I know it's been a couple of years, but guys, let's not forget this. I love it when they come back to storylines like that. Absolutely. So we got two cinematic matches. So even though I'm pretty excited about both of them for different reasons, uh, I'm going to go with Asuka versus Sasha first, which is the match I am most looking forward to Mm because I really do think the last two are both going to be basically cinematic matches. I hate to say this because I love Asuka. I love the run she's on. Unfortunately, I think she's the wrong woman at the wrong time. And I kind of hope they pull the trigger and give Sasha the raw women's belt. Because if they do and they let Sasha and Bailey run roughshaw over the women's division until they eventually meet, and then one of them will be able to say they've done something that no woman has ever done. They've held unified the title the two and they get to keep the tag titles. Uh, man, that would be, That'd be pretty sick. And Sasha is just so on fire right now. It pains me to say that. And I'm not going to be upset if they keep the belt on Asuka. But if you're asking me, I would go with the storyline I just talked about. Because at least you have something to keep people interested and kind of guessing, okay, when are they going to explode for however long we're still doing, you know, crowdless shows, which it looks like it's going to be quite some time. Uh you know, it pains me that that sounds so utopic. That would, it, I mean, it really would be amazing, but it breaks my heart because Asuka is just everything right now. Like, they she's get finally. twice uh, if that happened. I know. <laughs> like, again, again. The wrong time. <laughs> and I would, you, I, you, I had to kind of quell my celebration because I, when Asuka won her first title, I was watching it like, two in the morning my girlfriend was asleep so i was just kind of silently (laughs) and for them to just rip it off of her shortly uh thereafter just to set up the mania thing pissed me off to no end and i would hate to see that again but it makes a crap ton of sense to do it that being said i'm still sticking with my empress of tomorrow And like I said, I have no problem with either one of those. They both deserve it. It's going to be really interesting, and it's going to be a great match. It's going to be a fantastic match. I don't remember them ever fighting on a pay-per-view, do you? Like having a, like I'm assuming a 20, 30-minute match? I don't think this has happened. So it's going to, and their styles really match up. I love it when Asuka is the more powerful of the two women in the ring. And obviously Sasha is always the 
smaller of the two, which is why it's amazing she's such a good heel. Because typically, you know, there's very few people like Daniel Bryan, Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho, and Sasha Banks who can be great heels when they're so much smaller than their opponents and still able to do it. It's just fantastic stuff. So there's two cinematic matches we got to get to. Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio and literally, and I know I say literally on this podcast all the time, I apologize about that, but this is literally, if you listen to WWE, an eye for an eye match. And this will not end till one of them rips the other's eye out, which I want to see what they invest in CGI. I think this match is going to be like pretty good, but there's a very good chance it's going to be a train wreck when they do it because it could look very hokey. It could look like 1970s, 80s horror film bad, or they could surprise us and it could look like a horror movie of 2020. I'm assuming Seth has to go over because Ray is supposedly, I think, not signed right now or either it needs to be re-signed and it just would make no sense to have Ray Mysterio go over Seth Rollins right now. He's taken some losses, and he's still just doing such a phenomenal job week in and week out, especially on the mic. Uh, give me your prediction, then I want to ask you something about Seth. Um, it's You're right. It has to be Seth Rollins. Um, Ray will definitely make this interesting, you know, and if they're doing this cinematically, they'll all – you know, have some retakes and will allow Ray to put some of his best athletic work forward, maybe even giving us a, a glimmer of uh, the old Mr. 619 of how elusive he could be. But yeah, it's got to be Seth Rollins in this. So I, I listen, the, really the only wrestling podcast I always listen to, obviously other than this one, is the Mass Man Show with David Shoemaker, who I've, I've been reading his stuff for almost a decade, love his podcast. He made a really interesting point on his last podcast that the crowdless shows have helped Seth Rollins so much because if you've noticed, he's found his voice, like honestly found his voice in the sense that he's not that whiny kind of, you know, pitch that he normally is because he doesn't have to fight off crowds chanting what and booing and talking smack. And so he's got that real methodical voice, which really matches the character and just talked about how it's been such a bonus for him. And he's hoping that because this has gotten over so much, the crowd's going to give him some leeway. Like they did guys like Chris Jericho who have used a similar, you know, voice work in his 2000, I think it was like seven, eight run when he came back with a short hair and attached HBK and it's going to just enhance his character moving forward that now he's not got that kind of whiny, you know what I'm talking about, his heel voice yes. that he used for so long. Yes, no, that makes a ton of sense. And you're right. Um, I mean, you know, for me, when we first started going for the first couple of months, you couldn't tell me anything about Chris Jericho not putting in the best work. And since then, since especially, you know, after we've gotten a little more into this Messiah mode, Seth Rollins really is putting in a bunch of amazing work and his mannerisms, like you said, and the way that he doesn't have to talk over anyone. It's been really spectacular. So I, I just, I hope that when we do get crowds back that they are uh, a little more forgiving and maybe, maybe even play along with it. 
That's what I was to say. That's and that's what the great ones get is that they the fans are with them, so they boo at the right times. They let them get their their point out, and then they boo heavenly rather than, you know, almost trying to steal the uh, promo from them. But his promo work has been fantastic. So the last match is also going to be a cinematic match for Extreme Rules. I'm so excited about this. It's Bray versus Braun. It's a non-title match in a Wyatt Swamp fight. Bray, I believe, is going to go over because it's a non-title match. He has to. If not, they are really starting to pour a lot of water on Bray Wyatt, who was just red hot. I guess now it's been five, six months ago when he lost the belt to Goldberg. And since then, outside of his mania or his you know moment at Mania against Cena, and then the fact that apparently the only reason he agreed to do this match was it could be shot away from the performance center. He is dead serious that he is not coming to the performance center. He has two young children until they, you know, figure out a better system than what they have now. So this might be the last time we see him for a little while. I hope he looks very strong and I'm really hopeful that it's going to be just as good, if not better than the WrestleMania match, because it's going to be, you know, encompassing their history the fact that it's, you know, both two Wyatt members and he's kind of going back to his old character. What do you got for this match? Considering that this is going to be a cinematic match, I'm wondering if they're going to use this to give us what we had spoke about earlier. And that's a Braun uh, heel turn and Ooh. just kind of have Bray pulling the string so he doesn't necessarily have to uh, show his face in public, but he's pulling the strings on what his monster is doing. This would be a great time to use that to have just the monster uh, running running the show on SmackDown. Man, does Braun need it? You, that's the best. I love it. Like that's amazing. Like that should be where they're going because Braun. And I don't think it's been as bad as everybody. Or at least, again, I say everybody, social media, what I see on social media is very negative toward Braun Strowman. There was actually, it was either today or yesterday, it, he had hit his 100-day title reign, and people were talking about that Finn Balor's title reign of one day was better than Braun Strowman's of 100, and, you know, those kind of jokes. And it's, you know, it's kind of like it's not fair. You know, I mean, he, he's doing crowdless shows. They're not really helping him with his, his opponents and stuff. Uh because I actually think he would be over if it was normal situations and it was a, an all-out Bray versus Braun rivalry, even if it was, like you're saying, him getting booed. But I would love to see what you just talked about because I think it would just give him purpose and direction, make him interesting again, and it would definitely lengthen his title run. And with this being a non-title match, Bray can technically win by still making Braun you know, look strong. I, I love that. Yeah, that uh, in a, in for in my perfect world, I would love to see that happen because this would just be the great uh, the perfect time to pull the trigger on such a call. Absolutely. So, the final segment we're going to do today is who stole the show. Normally, we do the best match of the week from each show, best promo. We're going to change it up a little bit, and we're going to go with Great American Bash and Fighter Fest. You can pick. I meant to, to tell you that when I sent you the notes. I don't care if it's week one or week two because we haven't been able to discuss either. Let's start with your favorite match from the Great American Bash. Uh, if I had known it was uh, week one and or week two, um, 
Well, from wow, darn, and and like you said, this is the, this is the need for us to uh, put in the the work each week because I've already forgotten about um, my highlights on week one. Although I believe I do have some notes somewhere, but I'm gonna say um, the tag team title match because. Basically, and this is more has to do with Private Party because uh, they put up a, a great uh, match. I, I didn't really give them much of a chance against um, Omega and Page, but the fact that Matt Hardy is doing exactly what we spoke about in coming in and not necessarily needing to be an in-ring performer to put people over, but also uh, being a mentor, but he's actually doing it on screen. I'm actually happy about what's happening with private party because we're starting to like Quinn and uh, Isaiah Cassidy, those two kids there, they actually do have something really special going on. And I just love me uh, some hangman and uh, Omega. They're really getting it together. And now we don't have to really worry about uh, is there going to be a falling out right now? Cause they, everything seems to be all good, but we know that that's lying in wait somewhere down the line. Yeah, I love the way they're using them as the workmen. You know, they opened the show the second week. They closed it the first. And and they seem to be using them almost every time they wrestle us at. They're either opening the show to start the show off on a good note or they're closing the show because they know their quality. I love how with Omega, you're kind of getting all the hits, you know, the cliff notes. Like you're not getting the rest holds and everything else that you would in a 30-minute Omega match. Instead, you're just kind of getting to see him really go for, a, you know, a, a seven to – 12 minute stretch which is cool but for me for fighter fest and i'm kind of shocked i say this because normally i hate these matches i love the eight-man tag match with the really? and ftr yes versus butcher and the blade versus pentagon and phoenix i and i guess you can call me a spot junkie i don't know but i just those matches are so entertaining especially when there's not a crowd because you don't yeah. really have a second to catch your breath you don't really you know, they're, they're not being guided by boos and cheers. So instead it's just a really fast action paced match. The move that they did. Over that exploder. The, that oh my exploder, God. That, that was, was the most insane thing I've ever seen in my phenomenal. life. Phenomenal. Like you have to be like a little crazy to try that. And then the hurricane Rana from the top rope. Like, I mean, there was just some spots that just, you don't see that every day. And it's like, for me, when I don't have the crowd kind of, you know, telling me this is awesome or really being into a match or not. And I'm just going totally off of what I'm seeing. That to me was the most entertaining match that I saw on fighter fest. Uh And there were some other really good matches, but I just love that match. From start to finish, it was fast-paced. I'm still not crazy about the storyline between the Young Bucks and, and you know, FTR, but that's not what the question is. It's just what did you think was the best match? So from Great American Bash, what was your, your favorite match? Um, there's no question what it was. Uh, although it wasn't uh, as much of a landslide. Um, mine is, of course, Keith Lee uh, and Adam Cole, but Quite honestly, Io Shirai and Charlotte um, and Sasha Banks uh, is a close second. I was a little bit disappointed in their needing to use Asuka in that mix. I was kind of hoping they would have allowed Io to kind of come over clean. But now that I'm saying it aloud, I guess it really does make sense to have it a little booster because, you know, 
you can't really have in it's not like survivor series of a couple of years ago where you can have nxt going cleanly over uh the main product yeah i i actually had eo and sasha ask my favorite match for me the card and can't it's no you. fault it's no fault to keith lee and adam cole it's the fact that the the result was spoiled and because of that i watched the orange cassidy chris jericho match live because i was pretty sure i didn't know how that was going to finish i was almost positive i knew how the Cole and Lee match was going to finish. And that sucked because I watched the match and it was really good. I will say there were some parts of it. It's kind of hard to believe that Adam Cole can dominate Keith Lee mm. for, you know, the portions that he did, but it's wrestling and I get that. Right. But there is times when there's that big of a size disparity. It's just like, I think back to the Daniel Bryan Brock Lesnar match from Survivor Series a few years ago. It's like, that's how you have to do that match. It has to be dominated by the big man. The little guy makes a flourish, and then either he wins or, you know, he gets beat at the end. Or continues but, to get squashed. Correct, but it's just hard to believe because, I mean, Cole, you know, he did. He controlled, a, a, you know, a fair amount of that match. Mm-hmm. Again, it was a great match, but I love the Io Sasha match. I love seeing Sasha get to, like, ragdoll another woman around. When she powerbombed her into the plexiglass, mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, my God, Sasha's getting to that be was the stronger of the two women in a match because I've never seen that. She's always the one getting thrown through, you know, tables or into, you know, chairs or whatever. So that was mine. So let's go to the booking decision that left you scratching your head at each. Let's start with the Great American Bash. What was yours? Um, the, the big women's tag match, the, the six man tag match uh, on the first week, um, why, if, if you were going to, um, make Mia Yim and Candice LeRae part of the second week or whatever, what was their purpose, especially considering that it turned out that they had no part of the outcome whatsoever? Yeah. And before we forget about that too, I do want to say that the, Candice LeRae and Mia Yim street fight was incredible. And the finish to that was also as hardcore as anything I've seen in a long time, men or women. Like, that had to hurt so bad Mm. for both performers. But my – honestly, it's Tegan Knox being the number one contender. Mm. I understand why, because EO is technically still a heel correct, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but there's two things I have an issue with. One, I feel like they're just wasting Candlest Story. I think out of those four women, well, actually, let me even say this. I would take Dakota Kai or Candice LeRae winning that just because they're more interesting than Tegan Knox. Stay out of my brain. And then the other thing is, (laughs) where is Rhea Ripley? Why was she not in this match? She was the champ, lost, has not had her title shot yet. And is not even in a fatal four-way match to determine who is the next oh number God. one contender. Like, what is going on? Actually, thanks for reminding me. Scratch Mia, uh, the Mia Yim, Candice LeRae getting scratched out of that six-man match. The Rhea Ripley versus um, Aaliyah to be part of the stable thing. The, the 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 mixed handicap match that's the worst booking decision because like you said why is not the woman who had dominated the end of last year and the beginning of this year not still getting her um getting even a sniff of a rematch 
And she would have made sense in that match because there wasn't a power. Even if you're not going to have her go over, she would have just been the powerhouse, which we know when you have these, you know, triple threats or, or fatal four ways, it always is so much better when there's a big bruiser because that way, you know, the other women or men can gang up on them. They can, you know, wreak havoc. It just, to me, the matches are always more exciting. Uh, so for Fighter Fest, I'm so disappointed that they had MJF and Wardlow lose to Jurassic Express and that they're already teasing a split up of these two guys. First of all, I think MJF is the most valuable young wrestler in the business. I mean, obviously, because Keith Lee's older than MJF. I think Keith Lee's mm-hmm. like around 30. MJF's like 23, 24 years old. They do not let a let this guy lose. I don't care if it's a tag team match. I don't care if it's a non-sanctioned match. He needs to keep piling up W's. That is very big when I'm pretty sure they also know this guy is probably going to be the first of these like several very talented young guys we got in our, our you know mainstay that's going to be the breakout guy. He's going to be the first guy to win the big belt on their company or even the TV belt. And it's like, you got to protect that. And again, I just don't understand why you're already teasing the Wardlow MJF when they haven't even really had that much time together, especially with this going on. You know, MJF missed a good bit of time. What was yours for Fighter Fest? You just actually hit the nail on the head for the majority of the same reasons. Like you, like you said, they haven't even had time to develop. I mean, this is only what maybe the second or third time they've been in the ring together, and one of them was part of a um, not a Royal Rumble, but uh, over the top oh, battle yeah, royal. Yep. So, you know, there's no need to. Um, speed this part up. MJF has had a fantastic record this year, like you said. AEW used to really talk a lot. Uh, you know, they had the announce team talk a lot about you know win loss records meaning something, and they're gonna spoil it before um, it even get a, gets a chance to ripen the, the way it should. And it just, and this is no offense to Jurassic Express. I really like them. We we all know how high I am on Jungle Boy, but they can take this loss, and I don't think it's a big deal. I just think you need to protect MJF right now. When he has not lost a singles match yet, that's important. And I understand that that's different than a tag match, but to me, it needs to just be a winning streak. It worked for The Undertaker at Mania. It worked for Goldberg when he first debuted in WCW. There is nothing that can go wrong when a guy keeps winning early in his career because especially when it's a young cocky heel who is this good on the mic because all he's going to do is get more braggadocious and more cocky and more arrogant, and that's what makes him great. So I was Mm -hmm. a little disappointed that they did that. All right, what was your favorite booking decision for Great American Bash? Uh, My favorite was – the, it's first of a kind once again the limitless keith lee um for me it, it was just about time like you like you and i have been talking about it's been time to put the rocket ship on him his world his uh world title reign or whether or not he holds on to the north american title that much longer is irrelevant at this point quite honestly he was always the most ready for prime time and so he deservedly 
is going to get himself a, a title reign before he gets up to the main show. So it was definitely Keith Lee. I completely agree. That was also my favorite booking decision. And for y'all that remember, I was dead set that they were going to have Keith Lee lose somehow. And then Adam Cole was going to, you know, lose to Karrion Cross. And I thought that that was the right decision because Keith Lee is going to have a, obviously a bigger career in the main rosters and they need to get him up there because they needed him. However, and I, it's what I always tell people. I am stubborn. I'm opinionate, all that. But I will admit when I read or hear stuff and then go, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong on that because you can never take away from Keith Lee. He was the first person in NXT to hold both major belts at the same time. That will always stick with him. Just like Chris Jericho was the first man to you know, unify the two world titles. Just like the Ultimate Warrior was the first man to hold the WWE belt and the Intercontinental belt. That stuff does not go away. He is the right guy to be put in that position. He is going to carry that show. I think to new, you know, no, 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 no offense. Don't want to be too corner, but new limits and height <laughs> because he he is a phenomenon. Like he really is. I, I'm I'm so excited about this guy. I just honestly hope they let him debut on the main rosters as a dual champion, and he relinquishes the titles. Because that would be the smartest thing to do is to have him never lose those two belts, have maybe a four to six month reign. And then the minute you go back to crowds, you debut him and be like, look, I've done everything I can in NXT. It means the world to me, but I have to move on in order to do that. I'm dropping both of my belts right here and right now. And I'm telling you, I'm going to Raw or SmackDown and then let him go because this guy is the guy, in my opinion, in the next few years. I mean, I just was amazed when he got in the rumble with Lesnar, seeing him next to Lesnar, and he just he dwarfed him. I mean, that doesn't happen. I loved his interaction with Reigns and the way Reigns shook his hand at the end of the match at Survivor Series when he went over. So it, it's it was the right decision. So for Fighter Fest, I'm going to go first because this kind of turned into a, a thing on the Facebook group. I love the fact that they had Chris Jericho go over Orange Cassidy. And if you have listened to our podcast with any kind of regularity, you know I am the biggest Orange Cassidy supporter there is. I think the world of him, I was, you know, what I tell you, this has been now six months ago I told you I thought he could be a world champion. That was after yes, the rock match. And I truly believe that. However, I do think he's got a lot of work to do. And I think the worst thing you can do is rush that. And this would have been rushing it to let him go over Jericho. And there was a ton of problems with it. One is this character has not developed quite enough. He's more of a comedy act still right now, and they have got to figure that out. This was a good step because it kind of came off as him being a, uh, you know, what would the word be? A sneaky, you know, villain, almost like he is playing this role to lull. It's the rope-a-dope of Muhammad Ali where he is lulling his opponent to sleep and then springs into action. It's actually a plan. It's, it's not really a lifestyle. It's just the fact that he knows this will catch people off guard. Number two, there would have been no pop. And it would have been the biggest mistake. And I don't care what R.C. says. He is dead wrong about this. You would have no pop for arguably the biggest moment in AEW history at this point. Orange Cassidy would have just beat Chris Jericho in the middle of the ring to nothing, to crickets. Why would you do that? Save that moment for when there's a crowd. The place would go freaking bananas. And last but not least, 
you have to make the wins over Chris Jericho mean something, especially right now. To this point, he has only lost to John Moxley in the middle of the ring in a singles match, okay? He is the world champ, and it's like what I told R.C. when we were arguing about this. Unless your plan was for Orange Cassidy to, in the next few months, either beat John Moxley or whoever is the world champion for the world title or beat Cody Rhodes for the TV title, who also lost to Chris Jericho, by the way, then it would be stupid to have him go over Chris Jericho and then just flounder. Because what would he do? What would be his next moment? And this is what I got a kick out of. And again, I'm not trying to call it RC, but I'm just trying to understand this. He goes, well, he can go over Omega and, you know, or even Cody Rhodes. And I go, okay, so wait a minute. Now you got him going over three of the top four or five guys in the business. You better at that point know you want him to be the world champion right here, right now, because you're taking him over the biggest names in AEW. And I do understand those that will say that, well, this is what happens, you know, the, the veterans never let the younger guys go over. A, with Chris Jericho, that's not true. And B, he did go over in a huge way. He got to main event, basically a pay-per-view with Chris Jericho. He took him to the limit, and Jericho didn't win clean. So this is all things that are a win to Orange Cassidy. It's a win for AEW. I thought it was beautifully booked. And this is why I love AEW and have more affection for him with each week is because it would have been so easy to give Orange Cassidy the win there. And it would have been lazy and short-sighted. And they didn't do it because they know what they're doing. And they know this moment when he does beat Chris Jericho down the road in front of a crowd or for a title or for a bigger moment will mean so much more. Gosh, dog, it's stay out of my head. How in the world? How in the world did you just do two minutes of everything that I was just thinking? But yeah, Orange Cassidy, I like you said, we both are so very high on him, and he did put up a fantastic match, so great. But you're right. Um, there's he when we're we're definitely going to need more polish out of him uh, eventually. I don't know if we're going to have some sort of like Matt Riddle style voice coming out of him, but you know, you're going to have to be able to do a little bit more interaction with the crowd other than that. um, You know, you're too cool for school. I I absolutely love it, but eventually, especially once we get uh, live crowds back, we're going to need you to get a little more in depth to connect with both them and us at home but um, it made a crap ton of sense because it actually did kind of shock me uh, to a degree. It did me too. Not in the manner that it happened because, you know, of course it's Chris Jericho and Chris Jericho does what Chris Jericho does. But the (laughs) fact that the fact that they didn't pull the trigger on that did kind of shock me uh, in a good way. Because that's what we've gotten used to seeing, right? Is it's like, even if it hasn't had the right build or, or you know, the it's the right moment, it's just the rush to, to, to push somebody. And in so many examples, it's too much too soon. And it ends up, you know, hurting the development and the growth of that wrestler rather than what it is, you know, what they're trying to accomplish by giving them so much so soon. The other thing before we, we, we get out of here, what did you think about the Cody Rhodes-Hager match and the way that was booked? Because that was the other one that I almost brought up for 
I, I did, you know, had me kind of scratching my head from the AEW <gasps> pay-per-view. Oh my God. You know, I, I tend to fast forward when I'm watching and I realize I completely missed that match. I, I knew who won and I actually did not watch that match. It was just booked as a mess. They they were trying to protect Hager, and I, I I totally understand that. But I don't understand. You know, I say this all the time in WWE, and they've done a good job of you know not doing this in AEW. Where why did you put Hager in that position if you wanted him to look strong? And it just, you know, Hager after the match went bananas. I mean, crazy. Like, he dominated most of the match. Rhodes found a way to win that wasn't totally clean. He had Arn involved. And mm-hmm. Hager had the ankle on. Cody, like, I, I think he, if I remember correctly, he broke the hold. Then Hager's wife slapped Cody in the face. Uh, Dustin then ran down. I mean, it was a mess. Uh, Jake recovered. I think he hit a rock bottom on Cody. And then it was turned into an arm, like, I think they call it a triangle finish. But Cody oh, the, his head and arm triangle, Hager's, yeah. Yep, rolled over onto Hager's shoulders for the win. Well, then oh. Hager, after the match, knocked out the ref, like, just went ballistic, leading to a bunch of people coming out of the locker room. And the, oh, act- the, the non-Jericho announcers were like, you know, Hager crossed the line with his actions. And then they didn't even really mention it, I don't think, on the second week. I just don't know what they were doing or where they're going with this. Like, do you – I know you're actually, just now that you, hearing no, you just No, you actually just reminded me because now that you mentioned that, that head and arm triangle, I completely forgot. I actually did watch that match until you <laughs> – because I remember, because it looked like Cody passed out, but wound up. Uh, right. It, that was that was actually a disgustingly lazy thing to do. And now, considering that you said that, isn't this two losses uh, to Cody in the last month for Jake Hager? It is, and you got to remember he lost to Moxley in the last month and a half, and it's like. I mean, all title shots, yes, but. Yeah, but that's, that's important. Like, again, why are you putting him in that position, right? Like, why are you putting him in that position? I don't understand it. Yeah, no, especially considering that he is basically the monster of AEW. That's, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, so here's one where we actually, you know, because in as much as, you know, I will pick apart anything – Lately, I have been, since the beginning, an AEW fan. Um, not that I say that I like AEW more than NXT. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I'm not really sure. But it's the one that I tend to watch first. And we will tell them when they get something wrong. And how they're managing Jake Hager right now is wrong, in my opinion. It's sad that I actually kind of wish Hager was in WWE right now. Because I think that they would know a little bit more how to use a guy like him. And I just think his style would match a little better. Because, I mean, honestly, his best match has been with Moxley. I feel like since he's been in AEW and, you know, Moxley still kind of wrestles a, a WWE fashion, honestly. It's it's still very similar to what it was 
when he was in WWE. Okay, so we've covered a lot. Is there anything else you want to get to before we get out of here? Um, nothing that I really need to touch on. Just really excited about uh, what's coming up. Um, this pay-per-view is actually one of the more exciting pay-per-views uh, of this of this week. I hope, too, uh, that they keep the match to six matches. Like, it's going to be a lot like, I believe, the last one. Short, you know, start at like seven, be over by ten. That would be great. What match are you most looking forward to? We already spoke upon it, man. The, the Raw Women's title match. Uh, I can't wait to see how it turns out. I can't wait to see how either Rey Mysterio or Seth Rollins' eyeball gets pulled out of socket. That's going to be very interesting and quite a moment in WWE lore, which we need to remember they are still technically in the PG era, and this is where I get frustrated. It's like some of the stuff you guys will not allow, but you're going to pull somebody's eyeball out? Like, what is going on? Uh, before we get out of here, you got anything you want to plug? Uh, absolutely. Um, you can reach me at harvestcreditors.com at official Ronell Tinsley on Instagram, Ronell Tinsley on Facebook, both, um, personal and business page. Uh, if you have any problems with getting your credit score cleared, you want to get a rise in your credit, you want to buy a home car, whatever, uh, hit me up. Let's talk. All right. And I want to be sure to plug the backdoor cover. It's IB sports weekly gambling podcast with myself. And Alan, a.k.a. I.B. Yeezus, we have Staying been discussing hot. a lot of PGA Tour stuff. We did not have our best week this last week, but we still – I gave a 6-1 to one winner on the top 10 play. It was Kevin Strillman. But you need to remember we have still given winners, I believe, in like seven out of the last 10 events. If you've been playing our picks, you've been doing well. We're going to get discussing NBA, uh, NFL – Alan actually said he has a contact in the bubble. So we're hoping we're going to get a little inside information on that stuff. So we might know some players that are going to miss some time before others. Uh, And then we obviously want to get you to please be sure to follow the Ivy sports podcast feed. If you can rate and review, be sure to follow Ivy sports on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And finally, please be sure to join the Team Turnbuckle Facebook group. All we discuss is wrestling 24-7. If you're a wrestling fan, you definitely should be in that group. So, again, for – Shout out to everybody who's there. We love you guys in the group. Thank you. So, for Keith, a.k.a. Brett the Hitman Hart, and Ron L., a.k.a. Jim the Anvil Nightheart, the Hart Foundation, uh, we are signing off, and we'll see you guys next week. We will discuss, obviously – the uh, elimination or extreme rules and all the other stuff that happens in the week of wrestling. Ron, I enjoyed it, buddy. You too, my friend. Take care. See ya.